0: In our worship, what kind of worship breaks the mold and helps us to master the art of being unordinary, to to break free from the patterns of this world and no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And, you know, we live in a me-obsessed culture. We live in a culture that says we can customize everything to our preferences. We live in an entertainment-driven culture. And if we're not careful, those kinds of mindsets can infiltrate into how we think about and how we practice Worship, and we talked about last week how rather than than fitting into that mold, God calls us to break free from that. God calls us to community, where we have to consider other people's needs and preferences before our own. God calls us to the kind of worship that looks beyond ourselves and that seeks to worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. That's what we looked at last week, and today we're going to look at prayer, prayer that breaks the mold. You know, society tends to look at prayer as a nicety. You know, it's sort of like a quaint ritual. It's something that's, that's a, it's a, it's a good thought. It's a kind thought. Even, people might even say things like, you know, uh, send me your prayers and send some good vibes. And for our culture, that's the a lot of people look at prayer. It's like the spare tire in your car. Maybe you've even heard people say, when all else fails, Pray. When all else fails, you know, as if prayer is like a last resort. And unfortunately, this kind of attitude has infiltrated into the church. We need to evaluate our thoughts and attitudes about prayer. We need to look at how we practice prayer. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have been arrested for healing and preaching in Jesus' name. And, and they were, they were brought before the, uh, the, the Jewish high court, almost like their Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, to sort of plead their case. And uh, they're reprimanded. And they're, they're told to stop healing and stop preaching in Jesus' name. And then they're released. Well, Peter and John then go back to the rest of the disciples and they begin a prayer meeting. They come together in prayer. And I want you to listen to part of their prayer and the difference that their praying made. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 29, Peter is praying and he says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable Your servants to speak Your Word with great boldness. Stretch out Your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Your holy servant Jesus. And then after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. They prayed for boldness and God enabled them to speak the Word boldly. They prayed for power and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They prayed earnestly and the place was shaken. Now, if you're like me, you maybe read stories like that or you you hear the stories of how God has revived this church or that church or you read about great spiritual awakenings throughout history or miraculous answered prayer and maybe you think, man, what's wrong with me? And Why am I not experiencing that kind of power in my prayers? Maybe you feel a, a spiritual dissatisfaction with your own status quo and you wonder, Why don't I have that kind of powerful prayer life? You know that there must be something more to the Christian life than what you're experiencing. Well, when these early Christians prayed, God shook them. And He filled them with the Holy Spirit. And then through them, God shook the world. And He changed the world as they were bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. What our community needs is a good shaking. Amen? We need a good shaking. But that's not going to happen until the church is shaken awake, until we are filled with the Holy Spirit, until we are given boldness to proclaim Jesus Christ and a burden to go to those who need to hear about Him. And, and that kind of shaking only comes through prayer and the Word. You see, perhaps if we were as devoted to prayer and Scripture as the apostles in the early church were devoted to prayer and Scripture, maybe we'd have the kind of power in our praying that they had. Maybe we would experience the kind of filling of the Holy Spirit that they experienced. Maybe we would be shaken and God could use us to awaken our community. We need prayer that shakes and breaks the mold. How can we have that kind of prayer life? Well, there's two things I want us to, to, to talk about. One, something we need to, to get rid of, and one, something that we need to possess. And the first thing we need to do is we need to break free from those things that hinder our prayers. There are some things that are hindering our prayers today. The first of those is busyness. Busyness. You know, in our culture, we wear busyness as sort of a badge of honor. And I'm guilty of this. People will ask me, say, how are things at church? And my my, just my natural response is, busy. How are things going with you these days? Oh man, I'm busy. You know, it's it's just, I can't even help it. It's on my tongue before I even stop to think about it. We're afraid that if we aren't busy, or if at least we're not looking like we're busy, people are going to think we're lazy. That we're not working hard. But there's an old saying that says, if the devil cannot make you bad... He will try to make you busy. He'll try to make you busy. See, busyness can be one of the greatest enemies of an effective prayer life. Maybe you remember the story of of Mary and Martha, right? They're two sisters, very different personalities. And Jesus comes to visit in their home, and Jesus and His disciples are in their living room, and Jesus is just teaching, and He's just talking, He's just sharing these great truths of God. And Martha... Martha, she she likes to do. She likes to work. She's She's a busy woman. And so she's in the kitchen and she's cooking and she's fixing supper for them and all of this. And Mary, Mary, her younger sister, is sitting out there in the living room at Jesus' feet just hanging on his every word. Well, this kind of perturbs Martha, right? She even goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm in here busting my tail making supper for you guys and here's my sister just sitting in here. Can you tell her to come in here and help me out? And I want you to listen to how Jesus responds to Martha. He says in Luke chapter 10, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, as important as work can be, And and as as important as the kingdom work is, Jesus is telling us that we have to prioritize time with Him in prayer and the Word. That's the priority. Spending time. God is far more interested in, in your being with Him than in what you're doing for Him. Because if your being with Him doesn't precede what you're doing for Him, what you're doing for Him will be in your power, not His. We have to spend time with the Lord. If you're so busy that you can't find time to pray, guess what? You're too busy. It is never God's will for you to work so hard or be so busy that you can't take time to spend in His Word and in prayer with Him. Busyness. Now, the other extreme of that that can hinder our prayers is laziness. Sometimes it's not that we're too busy to pray. Sometimes it's that we're too lazy to pray. Amen? We can be undisciplined and even slothful in our prayer lives. Listen, if you don't plan to pray, you're not going to pray. We have to make a plan to pray. You remember God baked into His creation this seventh day, this Sabbath day that that was intended for us to make a plan, to schedule it. It's on our calendar. God has already scheduled time with Him on your calendar. Do you know that? He's already written it in there. It's called Sunday. Every Sunday... God intends for us to come aside, to take a break, to change our pace, to worship Him with His people. And every day, God wants you to make a similar plan, to take a break, to step away. Jesus did this every single day. We read time again in the New Testament how Jesus withdrew to a quiet place to spend with His Father. And if Jesus needed to do that, how much more do you and I need to do that? We have to make a plan. First Peter four seven says, "Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer." We're commanded because the end is near. We need to be disciplined for prayer. Now, Peter, I'm or, or, sorry, Paul also encourages us in First Timothy to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So we need to be disciplined. We need to discipline ourselves to make time to pray, to have a plan for praying. And maybe for you that means you're praying through a devotional book or a prayer book. Maybe that means for you you're a kind of person who journals, so you want to write your prayers in a journal. Or maybe you keep a prayer list and and you check off who you're praying for each and every day. Whatever works for you, the point is, is to make a plan and work that plan to pray. But another thing that gets in the way of our prayers is disobedience. Disobedience. In first John three twenty two, John writes that we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Now when you or I disobey God, Maybe that's because we do something we shouldn't do or we fail to do something that we should do. But whenever you and I disobey God, if you're a Christian, if you've claimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've surrendered yourself to Him and asked Him to forgive you of your sins, you cannot lose your salvation. But you sure can lose the power of your prayer life. Disobedience is something that it makes it difficult to come to the Lord in prayer. For one thing, God never blesses sin or disobedience. In fact, God disciplines us when we choose to disobey Him. And I think one of the ways He disciplines us is by not answering our prayers. You know, it's like if your kid's disobeying you and they come and ask you for something, you're going to give it to them? Probably not. You want to watch them and help them learn obedience. God is the same way. Plus, when we're disobeying God in the areas of our lives, we're far less inclined to come to Him in prayer, right? Because that sin has come in as a wedge between us and God. It's affected our relationship. We don't feel as close to God. And that sin keeps us from even wanting to come to God in prayer. Are there areas of your life in which you're not obeying God? Maybe you have yet to obey God by following Him in believer's baptism. You know, that's a command. That if you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you should be baptized. That's disobedience. That may be affecting your prayer life. Perhaps you're not giving. You're not tithing. You're not sharing your faith with the lost people around you. You keep saying no to opportunities to serve, even though you know God wants you to do it. You're living in disobedience. And it is going to negatively impact your prayer life. Now, similar to disobedience is unconfessed sin unconfessed sin you see we're going to disobey just because we're christians doesn't mean that we're perfect it just means that we are forgiven and when a believer sins as i said you don't lose your salvation but you can lose the joy of your salvation you can lose that close fellowship with god you know just as weeds can choke out a plant and keep it from bearing fruit unconfessed sin in our lives can choke out our prayer lives and it can keep us from being effective Psalm 66:18 said, "If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened." Harboring sin in our heart instead of confessing it and turning from it and coming to the Lord for forgiveness and repentance, and if we're harboring sin instead of doing that, it's going to stifle the passion and the power of our prayers. And I've said this before and it's something I do daily and I encourage you to daily pray Psalm 139, 23 and 24 that says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and test my anxious thoughts and see if there's any wickedness within me and lead me in the way everlasting. That should be our daily prayer. To lay our hearts before God and to ask Him to point out the sin and the disobedience in our lives that we can confess it and turn from it And be forgiven. If you want to have meaningful conversations with God, get rid of the sin in your life. Confess it. Ask for forgiveness. And strive to live in repentance. And then the next one is unforgiveness. So again, it's not only that that we need forgiveness, but we need to be forgiving of others. Unforgiveness can be just as much a hindrance in our prayer lives as unconfessed sin. Because if you expect God to forgive the sins that you confess, God says He expects you to forgive those who have sinned against you. If you want to be forgiven, you've got to be forgiving. In fact, in the model prayers, Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray. At the end of that prayer, He says this in Matthew chapter 6, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus doesn't mince any words there, does He? Someone once said, Bitterness is an acid that destroys its own container. Bitterness and unforgiveness will destroy you. It will short-circuit your prayers. It will hurt your relationship with God. And it will harm your effectiveness as a witness of Jesus Christ. Think about it. When Jesus was on the cross, an innocent man, tortured, beaten, shamed, hung on that cross. One of the last things Jesus did before He died was He prayed to His Father in Heaven to forgive the very people who put Him on that cross. When Stephen, one of the first deacons, was, was preaching the gospel. He was arrested for preaching the gospel. And he was being stoned to death. Literally, people were taking huge rocks and throwing them at him until he died. And as each of those rocks hit him, he prayed, Father, forgive them. Certainly, you and I can forgive those who maybe hurl insulting words at us. For those who maybe just mistreated us and offended us in some way. We need to forgive. And the last thing that can hinder our prayer lives is a lack of faith. You know, many times when Jesus healed people, He healed them saying something like this. He would say, your faith has made you whole. Or you will be healed according to your faith. James tells us in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, He says that if any of you lacks wisdom, He should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So we should come to God in prayer and ask God for things, because God is a generous God. He loves to give. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. You see, prayer and faith go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. You can't pray with doubt that God is going to hear your prayers or that God is going to reward you for the kind of faithfulness that comes when you trust in Him. If you have doubt about that, James says you shouldn't expect anything from God. Hebrews 11.6 says it this way, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So if you want to have powerful prayer that breaks the mold, have faith. Believe that God hears your prayers. Believe that God wants to answer you. Believe that God wants to reward earnest, faith-fueled prayer. Because prayer does indeed change things. Amen? It does. And prayer can shake up our lives and shake up our churches and shake up our world. Prayer can change people's hearts and minds prayer can break spiritual bonds and set people free from addictions and lies and spiritual forces at work in their lives time and again throughout the Bible we see how God answered specific prayers for the good of people and for the glory of God I believe that God still hears and answers prayers today we need to do what Hebrews 4.16 says. And approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Approach God's throne of grace with confidence. With faith. Which of these this morning might be hindering your prayer life? Think about it. Maybe you're even right there in your notes you might want to put a little star or something by one of those that you know. Yeah, I really got to work on this. This is a problem. This is what's hindering my prayer life. Because anything in your life that is holding you back in prayer is not of God. Get rid of it. Break free from it. Immediately. And then, and here's part two, embrace what helps your prayers. I'm going to with you some things that will help your prayer life. The first is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Jesus promised His followers... He said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. Jesus Jesus later later in Acts chapter 1 promised His disciples that the Holy Spirit would fill them and empower them to be His witnesses to the world. Paul later promises that that same Spirit will also help and empower our prayer life. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes in the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. Have you ever ever experienced that? You just didn't know what to pray for about a situation, about a person in your life. You you know you needed to pray, you didn't know what to pray for. He says, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Sometimes people have told me, I just don't know what to pray for. You know? You know, I, I try to pray for longer than two minutes. I just don't know what to say. Can, can you help me to know what I should pray about this situation? And then the Bible says that that's okay to feel that way. That that's natural, that's normal, that's human. So what we have to do is we have to rely on the Spirit of God within us to help us to know what to pray. The Greek word for helper, when Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a helper, it literally means someone who comes alongside you to help you lift a burden. It's someone coming alongside and helping you pick up something heavy and carry it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So when you've got a prayer burden, the Spirit can come alongside and help you lift that burden up to God in prayer. And He will help you pray in ways that God will answer. Just imagine... The Spirit saying, Father, this is what so-and-so, this is what David, this is what Ben, this is what what, uh, Bob, this is what New, this is is what so-and-so is saying to you. I'm just helping them express it. He's coming alongside to help you in your prayers. We have to rely on the Spirit of God. Secondly, we have to rely on the Word of God. The Word of God. In John chapter 15 verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If God's word remains in you. You see, the Bible gives us the language for our prayers. It gives us the words that we need to pray. And if we're abiding in Scripture and we're allowing God's Word to penetrate our hearts and our minds, then our prayers are going to be more effective. They're going to come to us more naturally. And not only that, but God's will, we often want to know what God's will is. God's will is contained in God's Word. So if you're praying God's Word, led by God's Spirit, you think you might be praying according to God's will? Yes. For example, moms and dads, if you pray Luke 2.52, you are guaranteed to be praying according to God's will. It says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So moms and dads, personalize that. Pray for your son, your daughter, your grandchildren and say, Lord, help my child to grow in wisdom, to grow in their minds and in their intellects. Help them to grow physically in stature to be healthy and to be strong. And help them to grow in favor with God. Help them to grow spiritually. And help them to grow relationally in favor with other people. Help them to be good friends and good students and good helpers for their teachers. You don't think that's a prayer that God wants to answer? It is. Or husbands, You're praying for your wife. You're praying for your marriage. Ephesians 5.25, let that guide you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. You can pray something like this. Father, help me to love my wife just as much as Jesus has loved me. Help me to lay myself down and to sacrifice myself for her good the same way that Jesus sacrificed Himself for me. Help me to put my wife's needs above my own the way that Jesus did. You don't think that's a prayer not only that God's going to hear and answer, but don't you think that's a prayer that's going to begin to change that husband's heart about how he acts and thinks towards his wife and talks to his wife? That will change you. Or how about praying for our church using Acts 9.31 that says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Maybe you could pray something for our church like this. Father, I pray the First Baptist Church in Thompson, Georgia would enjoy peace and be strengthened. Help us to live in holy awe and fear of Your power and holiness. Encourage us by Your Spirit in our worship and in our work. That we may increase in numbers as we make disciples throughout this community. In Jesus' name, amen. That is a prayer that God longs to answer. And that brings us to another thing we need to pray according to. We need to pray according to Jesus' name. According to Jesus' name. In John fourteen thirteen, Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, praying in Jesus' name is not a magic formula. It's not a secret passcode to get God to do what you want God to do. So why do we pray in Jesus' name? What does that mean? First, praying in Jesus' name recognizes my dependency on Jesus. It acknowledges that I, David Lambert, am not worthy to come before the throne of God. I have to come in the name of Jesus, who is worthy. Amen? Timothy Keller writes, Our prayer must be in full, grateful awareness that our access to God as Father is a free gift won by the costly sacrifice of Jesus, the true son. So I approach God not on my credentials, but on his credentials. I pray in Jesus' name. Second, praying in Jesus' name means that I'm claiming his authority. Because guess what? I have no authority of my own to command or claim anything. Amen? I can't change a single person in my authority. You know, a policeman carries authority because he says, stop in the name of the... A U.S. ambassador has authority because he speaks in the name of the President of the United States. And we pray in Jesus' name because His name has great authority in heaven and on earth. And we also pray in Jesus' name because it's a reminder that I'm not praying according to my will. I'm praying according to His will. His will be done, not my own. Powerful prayer that breaks the mold is prayer that relies on God's Spirit, God's Word, and Jesus' name. And finally, it's prayer that comes from the right kind of heart. Real quickly, we need to have a holy heart. You heard an Old Testament reading the question, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in His holy place? And David answers that in the next two verses. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't trust in idols or swear by false gods, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their savior. How do we come before God's presence in prayer? It's not through religion, it's not through our efforts. Our hands are made clean and our hearts are made pure because God is our savior, because we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ to save us. This morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to clean your hands and purify your heart, I invite you in a few moments when we have our hymn of invitation to come today and to throw yourself down at the foot of the cross and to say, God, forgive me for my wickedness and my sin and my self-centeredness. Make me clean that I may know you and be in your presence and pray to you. We need to have a holy heart. We also need to have a humble heart. Pride is another hindrance to our prayers. I heard someone say, when pride walks in, God walks out. Or as, Hebrews, or, as, or as Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. And that's what pride is. Pride is just a form of idolatry. See, pride blinds us to our dependency on God. It causes us to pray in our own name according to our will, because we think we know best. Pride keeps us from recognizing and confessing our sin. But Isaiah had a humble heart. Remember when he came into the temple and experienced the power of the Lord, the presence of God shook that temple just as the Spirit shook the church in Acts 4. The the temple was shaken and Isaiah's response was, was, was the same response you and I should have. He said, woe is me, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Yes, we come before God's throne with confidence, but it's not confidence in ourselves. It's confidence in Jesus Christ. So we have confidence in one hand because of Christ, but humility in the other hand because we know that without Jesus, we'd be saying, woe is me! I'm undone in the holy presence of God. 1 Peter 5 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When you pray, do you pray from a humble heart? And finally... We need to come to God with a hungry heart. I think one of the reasons why we don't pray more is we're not hungry enough for it. We're not thirsty enough for God's Spirit. I love Psalm 42.1. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Are you panting after God? Are you hungering and thirsting to know Him more, to experience His presence and to grow in His love? You see, too often our prayers are rote rituals instead of passionate pursuits. And you remember Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of His day. He said, said, don't pray like them. They're just babbling. They're just saying lots of meaningless words because they think that by their sophisticated repeating of all these words, God is somehow going to hear them. God isn't interested in phony ritual. He wants a passionate relationship with you. Are you passionate in your prayers? Are you hungry for God? God wants to spend time with you. God wants to speak to you. He wants to listen to you. He wants to meet your needs. And He wants to work through you to change the world. But God only listens to holy, humble, and hungry hearts. God honors prayer that is offered through His Spirit according to His Word and in the name of Jesus Christ. Does that describe your prayer life? This morning I want to invite you to come and to put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. I want to invite you to come this morning and to follow the Lord in obedience by being baptized. If you've never followed Him in believer's baptism, don't let that hinder your prayer life. Maybe God would have you unite with this church family by promise of a letter or statement of faith from another Baptist church. Maybe this morning you need to come and kneel at this altar and say, God, forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my busyness, for my laziness. I've got unconfessed sin in my life that I need you to forgive. Because I want to have a powerful prayer life with you. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you. For your grace and mercy, we thank you that you allow us to come before your throne of grace and worship and in prayer. May we come before you disciplined and serious. May we come before you holy and humble and hungry for you. May we come before You, God, relying not in our wisdom, not in our good deeds, not in anything. May we come before You only and always by Your Spirit and according to Your Word and in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray that in His name we would be obedient to Your Spirit's leading this morning. Amen.